0: this is the pga of canada professional development podcast series industry leaders pga professionals discussing technology fitness planning your business building your career these talks these ideas developed for you to live a better life and earn a better living My name is Leslie Hawkins, and I am the brand director for Adidas Golf in Ashworth, and I am very happy to share with you some insights today on setting up a successful golf shop. As you know, the retail landscape in golf has completely changed in the past 15 years. Large retailers command over 50% of each shopper's dollar. And consumer perception is that they offer better pricing, have a broader product offering, can offer one-stop shopping and offer a wider variety of brands. However, independent retailers connect with customers more frequently. Consumers may choose retail chains and online stores for pricing information, product research, but they shop independent retailers for convenience. Consumer research shows that consumers believe independent retails outperform large retail chains because of the intrinsic value that they offer, like personal recognition, make customers feeling valued, Help, helpful, passionate store associates, associates that really make the customer feel like they're engaged in the process. So how can golf pro shops differentiate themselves in this constantly changing landscape? The benefit as a golf professional is you're already situated at the best spot, the place where they come to play golf. And as they say in retail, it's location, location, location. So now we need to think like a retailer to try and secure more of those shoppers' dollars. Starting with store planning and design, those are the two things at the top of the list of things retailers need to do well in order to have a successful store merchandise will truly sell itself when a store design is good but when it's not even the best product can sit on your shelves gathering dust which is not what we want the purpose of your in-store design is not merely to look pretty although that would be nice its purpose is to create an environment that attracts consumers truly entices them to spend time in the store and encourage them to purchase impulsively while they are there it is a tall order But it's easier than you may think. That's because much of store planning is a time-honored science. The topics we're going to cover in this talk today is floor layout, walk the walk, which really means looking at both the exterior and the interior of your shop. And then once you're in the store, how is that product merchandised? Starting with floor layout options. There is a wide variety of floor layout options, but the main four are grid, loop, free-flowing, and spine. And truly, each of them has its own benefits and challenges. And there are plenty more layout options, but these are at least the four most popular that you will see. Starting with the grid, this is typically what is used in supermarkets, drugstores. It has displays placed in long rows at right angles. It makes it really easy to locate merchandise. So the milk is always in the back. You always have to walk the entire shop to try and get to the milk section. It's very cost efficient. However, it really offers limited browsing and limited creativity in decor. You don't go to a supermarket or a drugstore and expect it to look really pretty and engaging. The next one is the loop. That's really more of a racetrack layout where the displays are laid out in a loop so that the customer has to move around the store and then return to the front. So it can be a circle, a square, a rectangle. The benefits are that it truly exposes customers to more product and encourages browsing. Free-flowing is what you would find in most boutiques. It's like a boutique layout, and it's best for smaller locations like a pro shop that's under 5,000 square feet or locations that are selling a lot of the same product. So you would find this layout in a women's only apparel store, for example. Displays are grouped in free-flowing patterns around the sales floor, and it's great for increasing impulse buys however it doesn't provide a defined traffic pattern so there's a potential waste of space and can also cause confusion as there's really no discernible difference between all the different areas the last door layout we'll talk about is the spine it's truly a variation of the grid loop and free flowing it has a single main aisle that runs from back to front with the merchandise branching off to the back and side walls and it would be used for medium-sized stores so somewhere up to let's say 10,000 square feet it's easy to locate merchandise it's very cost efficient but truly there's limited browsing you could walk right from the front to the back without having to actually stop at any one of the displays so those are four floor layouts so how do you determine truly what works best for you well, the answer is highly dependent on your shop's shape, where the existing doorways and windows are located. If you have a square shop, you may be best suited to a racetrack or a loose loop setup. However, if you have an odd shape with multiple alcoves, then I would suggest the free-flowing as the benefits far outweigh the challenges, but truly determining the floor layout is up to you. One of the influences to keep in mind on your store layout is how consumers interact with a retail environment. Consumers naturally look left then right as they enter a store. They usually then prefer to move right and walk counterclockwise around the shop. So keep that in mind as a floor plan needs to make sure to allow consumers to follow their natural pattern. The floor plan that allows them to do that really is going to be the best suited to help drive retail sales. So now that we've discussed the floor plan, let's move on to the next topic, which is walk the walk. So how do you know what should go where to maximize your sales opportunities? To help answer this question, let's take a walk. And it starts from the outside and work our way into the front door. Starting with the exterior, remembering that the outside of your shop can significantly contribute to the customer perception of your retail environment, good or bad. So the outside is important. We need to remember that it does have such an influence on the perception. And unfortunately, perception can sometimes become reality. So as you look at the exterior, are the windows clean? Is there a window display? If there isn't one, then this is a missed opportunity that we'll discuss in a minute. If there is a display, what message does it convey? If there isn't a display, but you can see in the shop easily, what can you see? What you don't want is as people walk by, they can see in the shop, but what they see is the back of the counter. And we all know what we put behind the counter is not necessarily the neatest. Are there signs on the window or the door? What message are they conveying so all of those things you need to take into account as you're walking around the outside of this shop so let's talk about effective window displays truly not every pro shop has the benefit of a window but if you do here are just some guidelines start with a story and then use your storytelling skills to turn it into something more sophisticated with products or props that you decide to use So if you think about generating um, holiday sales, think of Christmas. Instead of Christmas, think of it as It's a Wonderful Life and use uh, imagery from the movie to try and pull in some theme of It's a Wonderful Life in your window display. Or around the US Open major, instead of US Open and American flags, think of Tin Cop in that movie and what imagery you can pull in so that you truly are telling a story whenever you're just setting up your window display you need to create a focal point keeping in mind that the customer's eye level and where the center line is you need to keep it balanced so people like to see things in balance whether it be balanced by size color and shape keeping in mind that we have limited attention span You need to make sure to use color, shape, and props, and keep them bold. You only have a few seconds to make a critical impact on the consumer. The consumer really is gonna need to figure out your story and what you're trying to convey in your window in five seconds or less. So that's not a lot of time. Try to pay attention to lighting. It's really a minimal investment, but it can truly make or break a display and it's a crucial component if you think of a Tiffany window one of the beautiful things about Tiffany is it's simple it's elegant and it tells a good story just very quickly by looking at it you can see the message that they're trying to convey and as we do with all of uh, learning about new products try to use the rule of three people can only retain three things at a time so keep that in mind when designing a display Truly, how many messages are you trying to convey? You can use a play on words or a saying. And truly, you can get as creative as you want with your window display if you truly have the benefit of having a window. But just be careful because window signs can certainly go wrong. So that's the outside. As you enter your store, there are multiple zones, each of which has its own guidelines for success. And we'll just walk through these zones explaining what they are and try to give you some rule of uh, thumb along the way to help with your setup so starting with the decompression zone this is the first five to ten five to fifteen feet as the customer enters it's where you create that ever important first impression it's where the customers make critical judgments of the overall look and feel of the space. It's where they decide if they're going to enjoy this shopping experience or not. So it starts from the outside and the impression that you make in the exterior and it continues right through the decompression zone. It's also the space where consumers will move quickly, right? Nobody moves from the parking lot into the front door and comes to a full stop. So you need to provide a transition area, an area that gives them a reason to slow down. If you're at a private golf course and you have regular members, those members quickly create a routine, typically. They know exactly where they're going to go when they get to the golf course, they park in typically the same spot, they enter the shop from the same door, and how they walk and interact in the shop becomes routine as well. So you need to try and change up that routine. So give them some space at the entrance and force them then to go to one side or the other. And the way you could do that is by using nesting tables or a couple of mannequins. Or you could put up a power display, a big display that tells a story. But be careful of the height and making sure that you don't block the view to the rest of the shop. Here's a rule of thumb for the decompression zone. Don't put any information signs in this zone. Because people won't see it. They're still in transition. Just think of yourself as you move from the parking lot into a retail location and there's baskets at the front door and there's signs. Typically, most people won't see that because they're still transitioning from the parking lot. The power wall. So as people enter your store and into the decompression zone, you're going to force your customers to slow down, and they tend to move to the right like we talked about before with the consumer behavior discussion. Consumers naturally look left then right as they enter a store. They usually then prefer to move right and walk counterclockwise around the shop. So the power wall is the first wall on the right side. This is where you should focus on new seasonal products, high-profit products or products that are in high demand. You need to change it frequently as it will be seen much more than other areas within your shop, particularly the front left. As consumers move to the right, you should set up your shop to build them a path to where you want them to go. You wanna make sure that they walk through your entire shop as this provides maximum exposure to your all your multiple displays and all of your product offerings. Once they have followed the path, give them something to look at at the end, a compelling display, something that truly rewards them for their efforts, whether that be a great mannequin display, a unique product assortment, something that truly catches their eye. Speed bumps is a term that's used in retail merchandising, and these are displays along the path that catch the eye. They kind of break the sea of sameness, as I like to call it. But more importantly, speed bumps give the shopper a reason to slow down because you really don't want them to rush through your shop. So if you use apparel floor units, for example, insert a nesting table or a mannequin along the path. The key is to change them frequently, particularly if you have a very regular customer service base or customer base. We need to remember that while fixturing does house product, the fixturing in in and of itself should not be the feature. You should use special fixtures to highlight something new. Here's a rule of thumb. Displays need to be at least three and a half feet apart to allow for more than one person to look at a display at one time and give them space around the product. It also makes sure that if somebody takes an item off a rack that they can take it off an apparel rack, look at it, feel the fabric, check out the collar, all of those details without feeling that they're actually being impacted by displays around them or people having to move around them. While fixtures and signage are great to showcase product, there's one thing that is better than anything and that is the rule of thumb of show, don't tell and that really means to use product on mannequins because nothing completes the picture of them seeing apparel, particularly on figure. So you can put product on mannequins because it will tell the story for you and your staff are the best mannequins you have because they truly, nothing completes the picture more than seeing it on figure. Lighting is one of the things we talked about in the window display But lighting doesn't just have to provide light. It should be used to highlight merchandise, sculpt out space, and really capture a mood. If you think of walking into a restaurant, and a restaurant that has very dark lighting instantly creates a mood that you know you're going to be there, you're going to be having a positive dining experience, it's not going to be really loud and brash. Well, think of the opposite when you walk into a restaurant that has very, very bright lighting. You know that it's typically going to be louder. It's going to be quicker turning of tables. Well, it's the same thing when you're in a retail environment, that truly light can really help you capture a mood. It can enhance the overall store image. Here's a metric from retail stores, larger retail stores, typically 100,000 square foot retail store has a thousand light fixtures that's not just a thousand single lights but that's fixtures housing multiple lights and they're using them to create a mood in different areas and call out different areas within their shop the comfort zone is another thing to keep in mind as you're setting up your shop because you want your customers to stay a while to really create a comfortable environment for them to feel comfortable spending time in your golf shop. There's a rule of thumb, and that is to avoid the what we call the butt brush factor. That is a theory that was set forth by retail expert Paco Underhill, that women shoppers are far less likely to make a purchase if they're brushed from behind by a person, a display table, or a piece of merchandise while looking at product. So please try to avoid jamming narrow aisles full of merchandise. Really it comes down to allowing enough space around displays for people to actually shop them, to actually engage with the display because the more time they spend in your shop, the more likely they're going to be buying product. In footwear, creating that comfort zone can be just as simple as putting comfortable seating in the try-on area or also near the change area so that people can wait for their partners, their playing partners, whoever is shopping. But you need to keep in mind one rule of thumb, and that is that the seats are facing the merchandise because nothing will engage the consumer interaction with merchandise better than sitting there in a comfortable area actually staring at product. So once the customer has toured the shop, selected their merchandise, it's time to finalize the sale at the checkout area. This area should be placed in an obvious spot along your path, so while consumers go to the right and move them around the entire shop the counter should be on the front left as much as possible by having it on the front left it also provides more exposure to that part of your shop that typically isn't is going to be the last area that's visited to keep in mind one thing is that where you put your counter is also dependent on the number of staff you have so that you're counter isn't in an area that is completely disengaged from the front door from the area where you get to welcome your consumers walking in the door every day. The counter itself should be large enough for people to put their things on it and it's not just the items that they're actually looking to purchase but as we all know, as we get into a golf pro shop, we always have other things in our hands. We have our glove. We might have our ball. There's a purse. There's a sweater. There's other items that you're actually taking to the first tee with you um, moving from, uh, through the golf shop. There is a great benefit of the checkout area and that is the wall behind the counter and that's where you can create some really unique displays, some great talking points to generate conversation with your consumer. The more they feel comfortable with you, the more likely they are to purchase from you. So a lot of the guidelines that we set out earlier in creating a unique window display can also be used for that area behind your counter. The checkout really is prime real estate for impulse purchases. Statistics show that 66% of all decisions to buy something are made while people are in the store, and that almost 53% of those decisions are classified as impulse purchases, which really means people aren't typically walking into your shop necessarily deciding to make a purchase, and then once they're in there, most of the time they're buying something on impulse. So while the counter seems like a really easy place to put small displays the problem with that is it can become really quickly very cluttered so one of the ways to drive impulse purchases is to use the area around the counter like some of the ideas we had earlier with speed bumps right breaking up the displays try using dump bins or when you can Ask your food and beverage manager to maybe supply some free samples from the kitchen. Get people talking. Some other ideas around the checkout area, you could use a sock bin. It's really easy to move around the shop. You can put it in the footwear section, you can put it next to apparel, but you can also put it at the counter. Or if you know it's going to be a rainy day, fill that bin with rain hats and gloves or put sharpie pens in it with a sign about mark your ball there's lots of great ways that you can create impulse purchases on things that are totally obvious for golf like tees and ball markers but one of the creative things you can do is think of ancillary items other items that people can use when they're in a golf environment whether it's sunscreen or water bottles whatever idea you have but the more creative you can be in those displays and make them movable around the checkout area, the higher probability that you will generate those impulse purchases. So now that we've walked around the exterior, we've walked in the front door and around the shop, now let's change our focus here and think about how that product that's in your shop is actually merchandised. So before we get into those details, let's start learning a little bit about how consumers interact with the retail environment. Here's some research for you, 90% of Canadians are right-handed overall, so they typically interact with displays or with product with their right hand. People don't buy something if they have to cross their body to reach it, keep that in mind. There's something in retail we call the knee to eye level. This is the consumer's true range of vision. But more importantly, it's the area in which they buy product. So really, this graph just shows you, in essence, nothing should be on the floor or below knee level. Let's take that one step further, though. Many studies have shown that over 80% of the household purchases are made by women. So you need to take into consideration how both genders shop when setting up your pro shop. And here's an easy one, women don't bend. If you put a display on the ground, it will never see any action from female consumers typically, no matter how attractive it may be. Women will avoid tight display areas, if they have to squeeze between two displays, and a product brushes their behind, they will leave the shopping environment. Remember we talked about it earlier with the butt brush factor. Women also buy in outfits far more than their male counterpart. So where you can, make sure that you showcase your women's products showing how multiple items can work in multiple outfits. And then the eye. How does the eye see inventory? How does it see a display? If a person is standing in front of a display, their eyes will typically move from the middle, the starting point, to the top left, then to the bottom right, and ultimately end on the middle right. So what does this truly mean? It really depends on what you're trying to accomplish with your display. If it's driving up average selling price, then your premium product should be on the end spot that upper upper middle. If it's moving some feature product, then it should go there. Let's take the scenario of driving up average selling price and merchandising product on a wall. The first task of the display is to drive consumers to your wall. So high demand or highly attractive products should be placed in the middle or as you can see on the graph what we call the start point. Other products will be showcased around With the premium product on the middle right, or what we've called the end point, this is the area that the consumer is most likely to make the product selection, for three reasons. One, it's where the eye ends. This is truly how the eye typically flows. Two, it's also the area just below shoulder height, which falls well within the knee-to-eye level that we just spoke about. And last but not least, it's on the right. And as we said earlier, 90% of Canadians are are right-handed and typically will not buy anything if they need to cross their body, so they're going to reach for it on the right. Research shows that once a consumer engages with a product, so whether that be lifts it up or touches, feels it, that they're more likely to make the purchase. This way of product placement is just helping them make that selection. So keeping the start and end point of their eyes should be helpful in setting up a display. Now let's look at where you should place specific products. Some areas of your sales floor are more important than others. Think of it as prime real estate or what we like to call the lakefront property. These are your highest traffic areas, the areas with the greatest impact on sales and margin. That should be where you place your high margin items should be in your high traffic areas. The opposite should also hold true. Put high demand items, those items that people are coming in looking for, put those in low traffic areas. This will help to draw customers around your shop. Many of you have probably already heard the good, better, best philosophy as it relates to inventory selection but it also applies to merchandising because consumers go through a process of navigation a comparison and contrast to make the most informed purchase decision once they reach a point where they understand the value for each particular product in a display they're more likely to move from the good to the better and then the better to the best at the end of the day we all want the best if you only have the good and the best, consumers find it difficult to understand why they should make the leap. You need to fill that picture in for them as much as you can. And if you have the good, better, best, it's easier for consumers to discern and understand the value of each. And it could be good, better, best in terms of pricing, three different tiers of pricing for a similar styled product or it can be good, better, best in terms of technology, three different tiers of technology as well. Creativity is truly up to you how you define it, but it's really using that rule of thumb of three. One of the keys to retail merchandising is to have a key attention, keen attention to detail, and it comes down to completing the details for your consumer look at all the signage that you have and they, it needs to tell them everything they need to know when you look at your shop is everything priced and I know that seems like a ridiculous question but it's amazing the amount of times you go into a retail environment and product isn't priced and the reality is if a person needs to ask the price they won't it's just an incredibly uncomfortable situation and while it does seem simple just consider how many times you've bought something price unseen where you can try to complete the picture for your customer and that really means cross merchandising so think of all the items that you need to pair together with putting socks with shoes socks with belts shoes with bottoms gloves with clubs really give your customer a reason to buy more items and ultimately that will help drive up your units per transaction, which helps sales, which helps margin. And truthfully, in retail, once you follow many of these rules of thumb, creativity is really what wins the day. And it can be simple items, just getting creative with collecting cheap decorative items that can be repainted or reused to help you either with your Windows display or behind your counter or just on nesting tables around your shop, really to create different themes or different seasons. These items can be used for visual merchandising. You can use them for putting product on or truly just adding flair to a display. They can be used for merchandising traditional product but in a completely different way. One example is, using a wall coat rack to display pants or hats or skirts it creates a really compelling display will catch the eye of your consumer create a conversation hopefully about your creativity and then the consumers are more engaged once you've done all this work to set up your shop it shouldn't stay the same forever merchandise sells best when it's on the move So as we say, you need to keep it moving. It helps to keep your shop looking fresh and really keeps your customers engaged in your shopping experience. And for those who have a finite customer base, so for those private golf courses, consumers can very quickly get into a routine, as we've talked about before, when they walk into the shop. They take the same path to the counter. They take the same path to the uh, food and beverage area. They take the same path in from the parking lot. Creatures of habit. The more you move your product in your shop, the more likely that they will notice it, even if it's been in the shop for months. How many times can you think of a consumer coming in your shop and they they see a new display and the first thing they say is, wow, I haven't seen that. Did that just come in? And you don't have the heart to say to them, actually, no, we've had it in shop for six weeks, but it was in a place that they didn't notice it. So the more you can move it, the more likely it is that they will see more of your merchandise. One of the things at the end that you should try to do is as the season progresses is really do a litmus test of how you're doing, sort of your checkpoint. And yes, we're all going to be looking at sales and margin numbers because that is paramount. But ultimately, how you can improve some of that data is watching your customers. Now that you've set up your shop and you've used all these guidelines, where do your consumers go? Where do they stop? What do they avoid? What are they drawn to? Watch their eyes. And really try to use this feedback to keep your shop moving as much as possible. We've all heard this expression a million times, you will never get a second chance to make a first impression. Well, it takes people as little as three seconds to make a judgment on another. And it takes them less than 90 seconds to make a final judgment on your retail space and even then I think that's quite long given that the first uh, interaction they have with your store starts from the outside moves into the decompression zone as we talked about earlier very very quickly people are making decisions and have an instant impression on your shop. When it comes to creating a high-converting physical retail shop, one that is really moving lots of volume, you can learn a lot from the big-name retail brands. Not only is every aspect of the consumer experience mapped out, but it's rigorously researched, tested, and implemented. So while we all don't have the money to necessarily hire a consulting group to do this for you, you can certainly take a few ideas from their playbook. And I know when faced with the idea of visual merchandising, you may cringe, feeling that you're not creative or artistic, but there's so many resources available to us now than there have been in the past from retail design blogs to Pinterest. One of the things that I did last week was go retail shopping at high-end premium outlet stores, and it's great to just walk around and take pictures. Take pictures of what appeals to you and what doesn't appeal to you. Go window shopping. If you're in need of some help and different insights, try soliciting the help of local college students who are taking merchandising or marketing or fashion design they may bring a completely different slant on the look of your golf shop. Ultimately, as I mentioned at the beginning, consumers want to buy from independent retailers because of the intrinsic value that they offer. That's the personal recognition. They make customers feel valued, and they have more helpful, passionate store associates. Absolutely, as a golf pro shop,